Welcome to the latest installment of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I'm your host, Todd Burrows, and I'm returned to give you more information on the best ball world. And my guest today is none other than Dwayne McFarland of Fantasy Life. Dwayne is absolutely one of the sharpest guys on the planet when it comes to fantasy football, the detail that he puts into his opinions, right? There are a lot of people who have opinions. Dwayne will always be able to explain to you exactly why he holds an opinion. And he also is himself a big high stakes player. So uh, I've interviewed Dwayne a couple times and I'm really always look forward to having him on and to pick his brain a little bit. This show is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy and the biggest fantasy football tournament of all time, Best Ball Mania 4. Don't know what best ball is? Well, it's simple. Just enter the Best Ball Mania on Underdog Slip Mobile app, Slick Mobile app, draft your team, and that's it. Yep, it's set it and forget it as Underdog optimizes your lineup weekly to create the highest scoring one. It's here, it's Best Ball Mania 4, and it's your shot at a first place prize of $3 million. They also have a lot of great other contests that are lower priced. They're constantly trying different things. Um, Get signed up on underdogfantasy.com or on the Underdog app and use the code SHARPKIT, and they'll not only double your first deposit up to $100, but you'll also receive the Sharp Football Draft Kit for just the buck. That includes over 40 exclusive fantasy football articles, which will help your chances at winning the $3 million grand prize. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SHARPKIT. You must be 18-plus everywhere, 19-plus in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 plus in Massachusetts and Arizona, and be present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. All right, that's going to do it. Dwayne, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show, and welcome. Hey, I appreciate it. Always love joining you, Todd. Um, joining fellow uh, you know, folks that uh, have the degenerate gene in them that want to probably draft too many teams. Like it's, I, I enjoy that. Like It makes me feel more normal to join shows uh, with people like you. <laughs> I, I, if you had told me five years ago, I think five years ago, I invested about two or three grand in fantasy, and I thought I had spent just, you know, I, I was just so nervous. But, you know, the, thing, the great thing about best ball is, you know, you're going to get some of it back, right? You know, just even if you have a bad year, you're going to get 15, 17% back if you're, you know, uh, you know, but it. It's um, it is a disease. And, you know, I've been profitable the last two years, but every year it drives me a little nuts when I see how much I spend doing this. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the things I do love about best ball, um, because I've, I'm mostly a redraft guy, I play some dynasty, but much more best ball, obviously, with underdog over the last three years. This will definitely be my largest best ball portfolio that I've ever had this year. Absolutely just love like all the content that's out there, all of the great, um, you know, thought leaders, right. And just like the ideas that are flowing, floating out, floating around out there. Like we saw this happen with DFS. We've seen it happen with dynasty and it's just such, it's so cool to see our community. We learn things from all the different types of, you know, games we play. But one of the things I really love about best ball is I don't have to manage the teams all year long because as much as I am a grinder and as much as I love fantasy, I've had those years, you know, where I've drafted over 50 redraft teams and Wednesday night, like it's tough. Wednesday night is tough to get through all of your waiver wire stuff and do that really well. So I'm looking forward to diversifying a little bit more this year, putting more of my dollars in the best ball and then dialing it back a little bit on the redraft scene, just because like the, you know, the, the freedom that it gives me with my time. Yeah. I mean, obviously I play a lot on underdog. I play DraftKings. Most of my money for best ball, and I've mentioned this, um, I think last 
two years, I've averaged about 80 between, you know, averaged about, you know, close to a hundred of my own FFPC teams at 125 each. And it, it's, it's nerve wracking. It, it, it is. But the great thing is, like you said, you know, there's only so many teams you can manage. And if you are into other sports, I mean, underdog has best ball for every sport. Um, you know, and then now there's playoff uh, best ball on underdog. It really gives you a lot of different options. And, uh, you know, we had done a few pods together, but for those listening for the first time, can you explain a bit about what you do and how you study and arrive at the data that you trust to find players? Yeah, absolutely. Um so basically what I'm doing is going back and looking historically at the different data points that we have available to us. You know, some are just normal things that people are used to. Some things are more advanced. Maybe we've only, you know, really gotten access to certain kinds of data points over the last four or five years. And then there's everything in between. But all I'm doing is correlating all those things to fantasy points to see which things carry the most signal. And then the second step is looking at which of those data points are actually sticky, right? Year over year, meaning if they did it this year, are they likely to do it again next year? And if they score highly in those two categories, they get weighted, you know, in a way that I'm evaluating the players. I also like to watch all of the players, um, you know, and film and all those sort of things have come a really long way, depending on what you have access to and how much easier it makes you to get, it makes it uh, to get your eyes on these players. Um, so some of that depends on like the type, the type of access you have, but I typically want to get my eyes on all the players, some guys that are more interesting than others, like, or I have bigger questions around, or maybe the data is telling me they're good, but I didn't think that coming in, I'll watch more of that player. But at the end of the day, I'm still relying more on the data. You know, um, as much as I care about film, the way I look at it is who am I to tell a quarterback who he should have thrown the ball to? Like if a guy is earning all these targets, I think the quarterback is actually a lot more qualified than me watching from my couch to say like, this is the guy I want to throw the ball to. So a lot of these things come down to simplicity. And that was like, a Deontay Johnson tweet. Yeah. Yeah. Deontay Johnson. There's a reason he continues to earn all of these targets because guess what? His quarterbacks trust him and they know that they will be rewarded when they throw him the ball. And I know the first thing people think, wow, yeah, really rewarded. Didn't score any touchdowns. Well, you know, weird things happen in certain years, but that's essentially how I work the process. And I just try to tweak it and work on it every year. I always try to back test it and look at how good it has done you know, in previous seasons, all those sort of things. Like it's, it's, I will tell you, I'm always investigating new things. Um, but I would say, I don't know, 70, 80% of the time, like it, it doesn't mean anything. I will do all this research and think, Hey, does this matter? Does this matter? Hey, should I include this? Should I think more about this? Now I usually get something out of that research and maybe and sometimes there's certain stats that are just better for context and they still matter, but they may not weight heavily, you know, in the way that you're grading out a player. So my, my first concern with a player is talent. Like to truly be an elite fantasy player, like at whatever position you are, you have to be mega talented. Like it's, it's, it's just proven over and over and over again. Every once in a while, you will get a player that's not a truly elite player that has a really huge season. But for the most part, across all the positions, talent is the number one driver. But you know, Todd, it's a puzzle. Then once you tier all those guys kind of into talent levels, like my next step is, okay, great. Now who's in the best situation? Who has the least competition for touches? Who has the most competition for touches? Who has a good quarterback? Who has a bad quarterback? Which teams are projected to win more? Which teams are projected you know, to lose more? What kind of game scripts are they likely to be in? And so putting all those things together, ultimately I still go through a projection process to get to my, my mean or to get to my median you know, projections. But I do that after I do my first set of ranks because I don't want to just be tied to my projections. That's kind of a two-step process. But projections really do help me balance or they will make me go back and look at players and say, OK, should I really feel this high about Christian Watson? Right. Based on all this other work that I've done. Um, but I like doing that first pass, just thinking more openly, like, OK, do they have the talent? What does the situation look like? But I'm not going to project their targets and all those things yet, because really what I'm thinking about mostly is a range of outcomes, right? Does a player have the ceiling? Do they not have the ceiling? Those sort of things. But I will say talent by far is the number one driver. And then situationally, all those other dominoes really, you know, come into play to determine who's going to be the best. And the thing that's so funny to me is like, you know, when people, you know, you'll tweet something like earlier, I had a thing about Kyle Pitts. Like, look, Kyle Pitts is an elite target earner. He's, an, he's, he's a really good player. 
People may think that he's not because he hasn't produced yet. He's been kind of unlucky. But all you yeah, gotta the, do is the, go look the rookie the... tight end who put up a thousand yards hasn't produced yet. Yeah, for sure. And so, in, in, in other words, uh, I mean, even that, even you're giving the benefit to the of the doubt that he hasn't produced. Uh, but he did produce as a rookie more than people thought he would. Yeah, and the interesting part, right, is when you put something like that out there, the first thing you'll hear is, well, who's going to throw him the ball? And my thought, like, okay, well, I could get Kyle Pitts in round six, but everybody's fine taking Terry McLaurin in round four. Who's throwing Terry McLaurin the ball? Who's throwing Drake London the ball? Who's throwing – like, so everything is about tearing their talent and then looking at their situation. Um, so there's just – there's a lot of things, right, where people will won't take one player because of the a certain issue, but they're willing to take another player who has the same exact issue, like multiple right. rounds early. So, breaking it down without doing projections first is my goal is to try to see those things because I have those tendencies too. There's certain guys that you just get biased around, whether that's positive or that's negative, and so I try to work my way towards that, and then I balance it all out with projections. Yeah, I am a big believer in talent because talent is another way of saying upside right? Obviously, the most talented guys that we know, you know, there's three things that really go into it. There's talent, there's opportunity, and then there's what you do with the opportunity that you get, right? Your stats, you know, whatever. And early in the draft, you want guys who have all three, right? As the draft goes on, guys are down there because they lack one of those three different things. They either haven't produced like they should, they don't have the talent, or they uh, don't have the opportunity. But to me, I'm always looking at the talent and I'm trying to establish a floor in my mind of what I think that player's opportunity is with his talent. And then I think to myself, okay, what are the scenarios? You know, the thing that I've gotten better at, and nothing teaches you like failure. Um, is I, I realized that I needed to be better at predicting what might happen, right? Rather than what I think is going to happen. And I'm pretty good at what I think is going to happen being what happens. But at being, I mean, guys, general managers and coaches get fired all the time because they thought something that turned out not to be. How much more us fantasy players? Um, you know, understand, you know, thinking of, well, uh, my perfect example was a couple years ago, I didn't draft Kamara or Michael Thomas in the first round because I didn't think that they could, with each one of them being there, that they could pay off that first round ticket. Well, what happened is one year uh, Kamara got hurt, the other year Thomas got hurt, and the guy who was left crushed. So all the more I'm trying to build in those scenarios of, you know, but ultimately underneath it all, Dwayne, I want a guy who, if he gets the opportunity, can crush. Because yes. we look at a guy like Mike Davis, you know, I don't like that whole uh, genre of thinking of, well, there's no one else there. Well, if you're an inefficient player, teams will find someone else, right? Yeah. Uh, but... What I want is guys who are talented. Your thoughts on that? Uh, I guess you for gave sure. most of them, but for sure, um, you know, and and that's where the dead zone for running backs came from, right? Your right. The dead zone is not just because they go in a certain range of the draft. Now, historically, they have, but it's really because you're looking at a talent profile that's just really league average or worse, and we're just they get caught in the projection machine, and you look at a depth chart, and you're like, well. There's nobody else there. I'm just going to give Cam Akers 70% of the work, right? That's what happens when you fought. Now, because people have gotten smarter, those players are now priced down, and it's easier to take them in fantasy drafts. I will say, with wide receivers, it matters more than any other position to have talent. You can get out there and be on the field for every single play, and if you're not any good, you're not going to get targets. Like You're going to get 13 to 14% is basically what you can get just being anyone. And then as you start to go past that, either your coach has to scheme up things. And when I say scheme, it means like you've got to be getting, you know, uh, you mean the number the one of... read, you mean the number yeah, well, one read on the play? No, 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 not that the okay. number one read is more often than not. Right. You know, it's, it's really, it's really dictated by the talent, to be honest. Like, yeah, you may have a high, low read, but the quarterback still, they, they're reading it, but if they have a chance to get it to their best player, that's going to reward them, they're still going to do it for me. Scheme is behind the line of scrimmage screen plays 
tunnel things like right. Debo pads his target share every year by five to six percent on those plays alone. He's rare. He is a rare occasion. For the most part, targets are just earned, right? The, the, the league is not most route concepts are known. That, DBs that know what be they the are. Name of this podcast: Target what? shares are earned. That that's uh, yeah. and I I interrupt and make a big point because that is a big point. Yeah. Now, as you go in a draft. I do get interested in players that I know will just be on the field because they can still give me spike weeks. So for example, I don't like Marquis Feldes Scantling, but I know he has a specific role in the chief's offense. He's going to be out there enough. He's probably going to have three games in the year where I'm like, Oh great. He did something. At least he was on the field. Van Jefferson kind of fits that same mold for the Rams. So, but you mentioned it and you said it perfectly at the beginning of the draft. You want guys to check all the boxes, <laughs> you know, like let's talk about Justin Jefferson has been an elite player. All of his underlying stuff screams, great talent plays in a pass first offense has a quarterback that has supported great fantasy players for a long time. Check, 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 check. Yes. He should right. be a top pick, but right. then you get to round four or five. I prefer the talent to be there first, right? And it is for McLaurin. It is for Drake London. But, like, God, who's throwing those guys the ball? Will they remain run heavy? There's more questions. So, yeah. Well, I think I like, God, like in that really range, well. I like Godwin more than McLaurin or um, – so, uh, well, I like London too. I think London has a lot of upside of things. If Ritter – you know, again, this is what I mean by if. If what if What if Ritter is better than we think he is, right? You know, he what we know he is, is a baseline that that's why he's being drafted there. What if? But, you know, a guy like Godwin is just a target hog. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I get your point completely. And, you know, I, I think the other interesting point you make is that. I'm pretty good at watching tape, especially at running back, right? So for me, it's what I see and then going and reading people like you and other people who are better with numbers than I am to make sure that I'm not out on a limb I shouldn't be on, right? Reception perception, I mention almost every week mm -hmm. now. You know, for wide receiver, to me, if you want to know how talented a guy is, reception perception is about as good as you're going to get. Um, but um, it can work the other way as well. But, uh, you know, all this, the tape guys versus the numbers guy, I think unless you have a deep respect for both, you're not going to be the best you can be. Yeah. And to me, where things get interesting is when you're trying to make decisions between players that you know aren't as talented, but they're in a great situation versus somebody that's really talented and not in a great situation, you know, I, I, and that's where like some crucial draft decisions come down. So like right now, Drake London's a better player than Mike Williams. I have freaking no doubt. Like Drake London, you know, assuming there's no big injuries or anything in his career, I feel fantastic. I think he's going to be a great player. Mike Williams really grades out more like a wide receiver three, wide receiver four based on the last 10 years of data, but he's going to play on the offense. I think it's going to throw the ball more than any other in the NFL this year. And I don't think that's going out on a limb, like looking at all the things that are going on with the, you know, the chargers and he has a really good quarterback and Justin Herbert. So I think it's, you know, you can take either one of those. Will they both be right? I don't know, but that's where things get interesting for me. So if I'm playing dynasty, I'm taking Drake London, like every time, like Drake London's the player you want there. But if you're playing season long, I can also see why people will be like, no, man, I'm just going to take Mike Williams. I really know the chargers. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, right? When you get right. really close on some of those guys. Now we will end up right or wrong, you know, quite often we'll look at the end of the season and go like, wow, I really was wrong. But to your point, if for some reason the Falcons are suddenly throwing the ball more, like which we're not projecting them to do, you know, most of the industry, and to your point, Ritter is good. Or, guys, Taylor Heineke multiple times. I know nobody wants to talk about this, but Taylor Heineke multiple times last year supported top two top 24 wide receivers, you know, in his starts. He was very hot with McLaurin for a stretch where McLaurin was great. And then he got hot with Jahan Dotson at the end. So, there's also this break, you know, glass in case of emergency kind of thing going on with Taylor Heineke. And guess what? He's not going to run the ball at all. Uh, Desmond Ritter's not going to run the ball like Mariota did. So just those things automatically mean more passing volume this year, right? And the Falcons were an outlier last year as far as they ran the ball more than any team in the last 10 years last year. Their, their, their run which, versus pass which ratio. Which leaves room for? Yeah. It, for, that you know, and, go ahead. No, no, yeah, it leaves, look, it's hard to have as many things go bad for a player like, you know, Pitts 
you know, or even London to some extent is what we saw last year with how bad the quarterback was, how often they ran the ball. Like, so there's a lot of outs there, but if for some reason we're wrong and the quarterback play is good and even game scripts force a certain thing, right. And they throw the ball more because of that too. And like, there's so many factors. Well, isn't the back Drake London's going to be amazing. Like if for some reason, those things break in his favor, what'd you say? And the backup is Heineke. Yeah, no, that's right. what I'm saying. Heineke yeah. is the break. Heineke, the thing people don't want to admit, like they don't want to talk about, is that he actually did support, you know, multiple right. wide receivers last year. Um, and if if Desmond Ritter gotcha, is terrible, gotcha. there's a chance you just see Heineke. Yeah, and and the beautiful thing about best ball is I can have 15% of one guy, 15% of another, yeah. and blend them in lineups, yep. you know, like right now, week 17, Justin Fields. Who who you don't have to stack with DJ Moore is going you know in a place where you can get one of Pitts or Drake London fairly often to bring back and if you miss Tyler Algier who I'm high on as a you know fifteenth round pick in a you know in a what if Bijan uh, gets hurt or what if they decide to mix it up more as a rookie. Um, you know, so I, I think you can build really good teams while getting ownership on all these questions and smartly hedge your bets, Dwayne. Yep, for sure. For sure. The portfolio thing is 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 real and it allows you to take some of these scenarios where we just know we can't predict for sure, but we know there's a range of outcomes and we can mix it up. Awesome. All right. So um you know, let's talk best ball and underdog. Do you have a preferred strategy for the majority of your contest? Does it change year to year and even draft to draft? What are your favorite roster constructions? And what do you what are kind of the the points where you look to differentiate and deviate? Yeah. So I mean, every year is different. Um, so I kind of think about three main things when I'm thinking, and this is really not just for underdog. It's it's really you need to apply this to wherever you're drafting. And what the ADP is, you know, an ADP often, you know, is going to tell you about the structure, right? So when we play on FFPC, we're in tight end premium. So tight ends go sooner. Supply and demand changes for tight end when we're playing on, you know, a best ball tournament in FFPC versus when we're on underdog. We know that wide receivers are going early. So there's really three things that I think about. One, what's the positional supply and demand? Okay, I'm looking at how many do I need? And then how quickly are they going off the board? And I start to identify some guidelines of, okay, by, by this round, and they're guidelines, they're not hard and fast rules because you mentioned something that's really important. Every draft can be a little different. And we want to leave ourselves the flexibility to get unique um, when we can with some different kind of builds. But overall, I'm just thinking about that. All right, how many do I need? When do I need them by? Okay, great. The next thing I look at is value. Do I think there is any value later at the position where I think, Based on a player take, based on this data, based on things that you know were that I'm excited about with maybe a group of players, I can actually get you know a wide receiver five rounds later that I think profiles the same, or maybe I've got two to three targets. It's tough when you only have one because that'll cause you to start reaching for a player, but you're looking for sweet spots in the draft where you think that you can offset guys that are going earlier. A great example this year is. I don't take a lot of David Njoku. I don't take a lot of Evan Ingram. I think they're fine players and I'm willing to stack them with the quarterbacks. But in that range, I love the running backs that are up, the upside running backs that are going. I'm often trying to get my, my QB one in that range on underdog, but I absolutely love some of the tight ends that go from round 12 on that I think are actually going to be just the same as having Evan Ingram or David Njoku. So I identify that as a spot where, you know, this, what, this, is, a Greg, gonna... this is a Greg Dulcich tweet. Yeah. Greg Dulcich is one. Um, I'll, Dalton Schultz has fallen into the 12th round. Now, once you get past round 11, like I get in, more interested in the tight ends because rounds nine, 10 and 11 are really prime spots for me for running back and quarterback. So again, that's, I'm also telling you something else there. I love running backs and quarterback quarterbacks in round nine to 11. So I'm thinking, okay, how do I plan my roster construction so that I can get plenty of the things I want in those rounds? Because I think that's where the value is. And then how do I make up for that later? So you're looking supply and demand, you're looking at value. And then the last thing is really just your draft capital allocation. Mike Leone did a fabulous article about this over on establish the run for, you know, his best ball manifesto where he, took this thing and 
said, hey, let's not just think about the rounds that you're taking, you know, a player in because really pick one versus pick 12 is not the same as pick 160 versus 172, right? It's not a linear kind of kind of thing. Like the earlier you are in a draft, the more that you're giving, you know, the bigger difference, right, that there is between pick to pick. The later you get in the draft, the less that matters. So you're much more free to, to build your stacks, to build your correlations. Early in a draft, I don't want to be deviating a bunch. If I can do it and it makes sense, I will. But really, I'm more worried about ADP. But when you think about draft allocation, the main thing is this. It's a very simple rule of thumb. The more you spend early, the less you spend late. So if I take, I see people do this all the time and it like they just kind of submarine their whole team. They take Jalen Hurts because he falls to him in round three. And then they're sitting there and they take Trevor Lawrence in round six. Like, you, you know, you, you can't, not saying it can't work because anything can work. But really, when you think about the ramifications of that for the rest of your draft, because when you took Jalen Hurts in round three on its face, that's fine. But guess what you gave up? You gave up Ramondre Stevenson. You gave up maybe a Tony Pollard. You gave up a Josh Jacobs. You gave up a very, very high opportunity cost. So you've right. got to focus on making that up later. So again, basic rule of thumb, if you spend more early in your draft, you're going to spend less later and vice versa. If you don't get your first tight end until around 12 or 13, you should probably draft three. It doesn't mean you draft them all three back to back, but by the end of the draft, you probably want three on your roster. Yeah, so I think the biggest takeaway there is something that I talk about a lot, which is at the end of the day, we're trying to put the most value on our teams as we can. Knowing where the dips in value are positionally help us to achieve that goal. Because, you know, if I take David Njoku, and 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 I'm like you, I will take him, right? He's he's I'm gonna be a guy that's kind of even weight on him. I will be under on Evan Ingram. But the 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 point is that hey, opportunity- I think we're both I think we both take Njoku for the same reason. I'm pretty sure you're with me. I I, I love Deshaun Watson. <laughs> so I Watson that- <laughs> well, I, I forget if well it changes, but Watson and Dak Prescott are my two highest stone quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah and, Watson's uh, my number one. Yeah. Who Watson's your number one? Yeah, he, he still might be it depends on the site. Um for sure. Yes, that's a huge driver. Yes. Yeah, but um you know, I mean, what you know, if if Watson had come back and not look like crap, he'd be going two to three rounds earlier. Yes. And you know, I, it's very easy for smart people to say, well, the guy didn't play for two years, he didn't practice for two years, and then he couldn't practice until he was off suspension, and within two weeks he was starting. I can understand why he looked like crap last year. So me too. We, we, we agree on that. And, and the next question is on quarterback. You wrote an article on drafting quarterbacks in fantasy football. What is your ideal strat? Oh, I want to mention one other thing. I am willing to take that second high value quarterback, but only if I'm getting a, a nice discount on him. Right. Uh, and I've got a stack. So, yeah, you want to you want to make you always want to be willing to make an exception when you get the ADP slide and and ADP slides later in your draft matter less. Because, again, we're back to the value of picks early versus value of picks later. So I will see some some people will text me and they'll be like, hey, man, look at this team I got. I got this guy in like round 15, like seven spots past ADP. You know, I got this guy in round 16, 10 spots. I'm like you need to focus more on your construction at that point, less on eight, because that's not worth a lot. Now, if you're in round seven and Trevor Lawrence, who normally goes at the beginning or middle of round six, and he slides 12 picks past, then it's worth a consideration. But you do need to understand how it's going to make your draft different. You need to already now be plotting out what does this mean for your next rounds? And most people don't do that. Most people are not thinking about that because what happens is it does start to box you into certain other decisions, right? And that you're going to need to really think about based on the sweet spots in the draft. But yeah, you asked about the quarterback thing. And so um, actually my wide receiver article well, posted let me, today. Let me just jump in yeah. a sec before you hit that. You know, a, a perfect example for me is I've got a couple uh, Jalen Hurts Burrow teams, right? I, I drafted Chase first. Um, I drafted Devonta Smith in the second, Hurts in the third, or vice versa. 
And then staring me in the face and in two different dress was Burrow in the fifth round, right? You know, six to eight picks beyond where he normally goes. I made sure there was no one else that I was passing on that I would regret. And I took him. But I had another draft where I took uh, Kelsey in the first. Follow, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I took Chase in the first, Mahomes in the second because of that week 17 correlation. Third round, I took Higgins because he was the best guy there. And then Burrow was there in the fifth. I took Hawkinson in the fourth. And I was staring at Burrow or Aaron Jones. And I took Aaron Jones because, you know, that team to me was built with the thought that it would be both Higgins and Chase going off with Mahomes and later people I, I felt like that was duplication on my week 17 stack. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, I've, I've, you know, and occasionally I will take the duplicate on the week 17 stack just because of the way a draft goes, but for the most yeah, part, I don't very want rarely, the double quarterback. Yeah. yeah. So um, the full, and, and question, those are the exceptions you're talking about. Like, yeah. Yeah. And the full question on the quarterbacks is, you know, what is your ideal strategy right now with quarterbacks having gotten more and more expensive? Um, you know, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not investing in round two quarterbacks. Um, I think I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it won't work, but opportunity costs are really high. And I know the easy thing to do is to point at how well these quarterbacks played and that there truly is a separation now with the way we should think about the quarterbacks that have the dual threat ability and the ones that don't. And then obviously Patrick Mahomes and his elite upside as a passer. But the equations changed a lot. Last year, Mahomes was falling down draft boards and you got a discount on him. Last year, you were getting Jalen Hurts in round six. You didn't, you were not forced with the decision of passing on a Jonathan Taylor who will slide to you. You weren't forced with the decision of, of passing on Saquon Barkley, right? To take, you know, the quarterback. And it just so happens this year, I feel really good about Justin Herbert in round five, Joe Burrow in round five, Deshaun Watson in round seven. Um, and then you got a whole slew of quarterbacks from round nine to 11 that I feel good about. Um, you know, whether you want to talk about, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Geno Smith, there's a lot of different things you can do. And I, I feel very Dak. two is in that range. Dak's in that range. Kirk Cousins is in that range. And there's all sorts of stacks you can set up. The other nice thing with waiting on your quarterbacks is you can set your stacks up ahead of time and see how it all shakes out. Whereas if you're trying to do it with the early guys, like besides Mahomes and Josh Allen, who they do have some targets that go later, but if you're doing Burrow, if you're doing Hurts, you kind of got to get your guys early, right? And if you miss them, there's not a lot you can do late. Yeah, maybe you throw a round 18 dart on, you know, a Quez Watkins or something like that, but it's not going to be super exciting. It also kind of boxes you into Dallas Goddard at a spot in the draft where I think he's going too high. So overall, with opportunity costs, with where I think the sweet spot is on quarterbacks this year, how you can still overcome that one elite player with multiple players at the position I just feel like there's a lot of paths to not do it. Now, having said that, I let the draft tell me. So if I take Kelsey in round one, I don't take Mahomes in round two, ever. I, I take the stud running back or a really good receiver. And if the draft decides it's going to allow Patrick Mahomes to come back to me, I take him. And guess what? That differentiates my Mahomes-Kelsey stack versus all the other ones that are out there. And it'll happen like 10% of the drafts I'm in. He'll fall back and I get that combo. So I'm still open to it. I do the same thing. Uh, it's gotten way easier to do it here recently because quarterbacks have fallen now. Like when we first started this this year, like it was insane. They're still higher priced uh, than they ever have been. But now they've cooled off quite a bit. And you will, you know, you'll. I'll give myself a chance. Sometimes I'll take Kelsey in round one and then I'll take Devonta Smith in round two. And then I'm like, okay, which like if either Mahomes or Hurts falls back, I will take them. If not, like I take what else the draft leaves me. So I'm okay with doing it. But overall this year, Todd, I do believe I, I would I would rather try to offset the elite quarterback um, as much as I may, you know, love them. And I'm just I'm letting the draft tell me when I'm gonna take the elite quarterback. So I still I definitely want my exposure to them, but I'm not forcing it. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So I'm about 4% on all of the big three, right? You don't oh, want to not close. have it. We're close. I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you. I not, I, you don't want to not have any of them. Uh, the one guy that I've started drafting, uh, even without uh, a st an early stack, is uh, 
in FFPC, I think there's a real dip in value after, say, Ramondre and Brees Hall. I, I really feel like there's kind of a flat area for running uh, wide receivers. Um, and so if Josh Allen makes it back to me, three, six, three, seven, three, eight, I'm willing to take him. First of all, you don't need as big as stacks in FFPC because 17 to 25% of teams advance in the two first two weeks of the playoffs. And then it's only 70 teams in the, in the final. And we know he can get there with his rushing. Um, but in general, uh, you and I are tapping the same vein. And it's really important, you know, you've always talked about context matters. Last year, not only did the top quarterbacks just have ridiculous years, but we had a very, very unusual set of circumstances where almost every second-tier quarterback failed. Um, Dak was hurt for a while. Stafford was hurt and sucked before then. Russ Wilson sucked. You know, you you th those guys who you it was were, have you know, have nots last year like we've never seen. Yeah, in other words, it was a, a cavalcade of events that led to them having the value that they did. I feel a lot better about the second tier quarterbacks this year than I did last year, Dwayne. I agree, and my I would predict you probably would do the same thing. Next year, quarterbacks will be cheaper. I do not think you're going to see the same results that you saw last year, given the opportunity costs and the things you just talked about regression alone is going to take care of a lot of this and things are going to normalize. So um, I, I think it'll be somewhere in between though, where we were two or three years ago, where we probably had not adjusted enough for what we should think about quarterbacks, given the new nature of this world where you've got these dual, you know, as, as my uh, counterpart, Ian Hardis says, Hey, like this, this dual threat aliens, right. <laughs> that are from other planets. Right. Yes, they do have added value, but it brings me back to your, you know, your, your point about Josh Allen, I'm with you. Love him in the middle of the third. Don't have to have Stefan Diggs, you know, in order to take him there. The other one I'm willing to do because of the other reason you talked about, it does get very flat. You do have a big drop off at running back once Brees Hall's gone. And then at wide receiver, like once you get to the name DK Metcalf, which I, I still like and I will take him when he falls past ADP, I'm pivoting. I'm taking Mark Andrews or I'm taking Lamar Jackson. That is and, exactly what I'm doing. 100% yeah, exact, especially exactly. on DraftKings where you can get the 100 yard bonus from Andrews or the, or, you know, you can get two bonuses from Lamar. Um, I, 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 100%. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a real easy spot to just pivot over to an elite player at one of these other two positions and go ahead and knock it out. I've had a lot of luck actually when I'm picking down on, on underdog, when I'm picking like, which seems like every draft, like pick eight to 10, 11 in that range, Mark Andrews falls to you and, and Jackson's there. I almost always take Andrews first because what I've found is a lot of times the players behind you, they don't feel as good about the Ravens wide receivers later. So they'll try to set up their other stacks, right? Or they're already have certain. You at least get a going. chance of getting Lamar coming back. It yeah, gives I've you got, that. I've gotten. I've gotten Lamar on 25% of my Andrews teams doing that when technically oh, wow. they go in the same round, you shouldn't be able to get yep. it. Um, now I've tried it the other way and I've gotten it zero times <laughs> when I leave it the other way the, the somebody will, will always take Andrews. Right. Well, I, I mean, again, uh, context matters before he was hurt last year, Andrews averaged one point less a game than Kelsey. Yep. Right. Then and, he and got hurt. Forget. He yeah, got, people forget the new yeah. injury. People, people account for injuries, but not for players playing hurt. Yep. All right. Let's move on to the wide receiver position with them going earlier and earlier um, on underdog. I have a hard time clicking on CMC and Bijan and early. I like Deckler when he was later in the first round or early in the second. Um, I tend to get those guys more on FFPC where running back where wide receivers don't go as early. Your thoughts on taking the early running back, especially knowing how much you like the second round running backs. That's the challenge. Again, we're talking about opportunity costs in round one back to supply and demand. What we talked about earlier on underdog, the wide receivers are going to fly off the board. So if there's any chance that you're looking at a decision a decision between a wide receiver and a running back and you think they're close and what they're going to do this year, you should go ahead and take the wide receiver. Now, I'm still taking Eckler towards the end of the round. 
Um, you know, because he still will slide into that nine, 10, there, 11. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Now when he goes earlier, yeah, I'm off of it. I have, I have, I will tell you if Christian McCaffrey at pick four is what you need to win best ball mania this year, I'm probably not winning best ball mania. Now I'm not going to be completely naked on McCaffrey because there are times when he falls to pick six or seven and I take him. But other than that, I'm with you. I'm taking Cooper cup. You know, now I get it with the new thing with Tyreek Hill is the league potentially going to jump in and do something fine. You want to move CMC above Hill until you figure that out and then you can readjust later. I get it. Like, that's fine. I think there's different reasons you could do it. But yeah, I'm typically taking the receiver in round one. And the big, big part is because in round two, you have a name like Tony Pollard falling to you, which just, you know, it shouldn't. Tony Pollard should not be going at the end of round two. Jonathan Taylor, I get it. He's going to play with a quarterback that wants to run the ball. Blah, 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 blah. I, I totally get all that. But now, like, he's just falling too far in the second round. I think there was an argument uh, argument against Jonathan Taylor in round one. But if you're thinking that you should let him fall to middle of round two or to the end of round two, I'm going to take him every time that you allow me to because, again, he has the talent. And guess what the Colts are going to do? They're going to run the ball all the time. Like, that's going to be their identity. They're going to be one of these teams. They're not even going to care if they're losing. They're still just going to keep running. It will be like Arthur Smith. It's going to be like what we saw with the Bears. So I really like Jonathan Taylor, um, you know, with where you're getting him now. Um, and, you know, we have Saquon Barkley, all these guys that fall and down there. Show. And, 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 and it doesn't just show. end there. It, it round, in round three, it continues. You can get Josh Jacobs. You can get Derrick Henry. You can get Ramondre Stevenson. I get it. There's questions with all those guys, but they're going in the third round and they're, they're, they're profiles that I feel really good about. So I like taking the receiver to your point up there and then coming back and grabbing a running back in the next two rounds. Sometimes I will take two running backs in those Me next too. two rounds. Just depends. Yeah. I, I find it almost impossible to pass on Ramondre and I, 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 my, my, the hardest decision of my life was back in early best ball when you had to choose between Pollard or Ramondre in the third round because I loved both of them. Um, and um, I, 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 you know, CMC is my, I just looked today on underdog. He is my lowest owned player in the first two rounds at 4%. And that's the minimum that I want of someone that, that talented. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, uh, we're like-minded there. The Niners, though, they're a tough team for me, as I find all the weapons are a bit overpriced, but the quarterback's very cheap. Uh, how, what are your thoughts on the Niners' weapons? Yeah, I mean, they're all elite. Like, it's crazy. Um, I wish we had a quarterback that Kyle Shanahan trusted enough to do what Miami does, right? Where you would get to basically free Debo, free IU, free George Kittle, free CMC, you know, I mean, but unfortunately you've got this offense that's going to operate at least so far through the ground, but I'm willing to take all of those guys when they're past ADP. Ayuk's doing his thing he does every year, which is rises too far up draft boards. I love him. Super talented guy, but I mean, he just pushes so far. Like, and, and again, like we see it every single year with him. Um, so I just take them whenever they fall past ADP. I am willing to take Brock Purdy. Uh, later in drafts, especially if I've set something up like, you know, an IUK and come back around, you know, or maybe you took, uh, well, used to, like it was easier to stack, but you might have something like a, a Jahan Dotson with Kittle, right? And then you might take a Purdy in round 17 or 18. Now all those guys besides Kittle, right? They've gone up in price. Jahan Dotson goes earlier in the seventh round. Brock Purdy has moved up two or three rounds since we started drafting. So I, I will still do it though. So I, I I want access to that sort of talent, but I don't force any of them at ADP. Yep, I, I agree a hundred percent. So you've got a new uh, best ball hub over at Fantasy Life. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So really, kind of all the things that we've been talking about, where people hear us talking about, hey, exposures and all these different kind of things. We've essentially, not essentially, we have, we've built a tool that will allow you to go get your underdog exposure. And so you just go over to underdog, you pull up your app or you pull it up, you know, on your, on your uh, laptop and you go to exposures and you, there's a spot where you can request your CSV, right? And so it will be emailed to you and that's all of your exposure. And then you just come over to fantasylife.com. You have to make sure you have an account. It's free. Everything's free. There's nothing that you run into that has a paywall. So it's not just trying to get you to sign up for something and then pay for something more later. But once you've done that, then you can upload that 
and every time you draft, you know, or every day you can get that once a day from underdog and you can just upload it and refresh it. And it's going to tell you all sorts of things. You can see who's your most rostered quarterback. You can see who's your most rostered running back. You can also see what are the type of builds that you're typically doing. So Darren Waller, for example, is my most rostered tight end right now going in, you know, round seven. I can quickly go and pull this up and I can type in Darren Waller's name and I can see who are the players I most commonly draft with Darren Waller. I've got 39% of the time I've got Deontay Johnson. I probably need to think about that, right? Um, I can also see how often do I get my quarterback stack with Darren Waller. 22% of the time I've drafted Darren Waller, I have drafted Daniel Jones. 4% of my teams, I have Saquon Barkley as well. I can then also look at week 15, 16, and 17 correlations. I can see I have Cooper Cup in week 17 with the Rams. 22% of the time, I have Waller. I've got Stafford 13% of the time. I've got Tyler Higby 9% of the time. Van Jefferson 9% of the time. Puka Nakua 4%. So I can look at these things and think, okay, great. I've got another Darren Waller draft. How might I want to change this? And I can right. be thinking about that on the fly. Whose ownership do I want more of? And and, exactly. and that that goes back to some uh, something you know in DFS we all use optimizers to try and get a nice spread, right? And we give it all these rules so that we it spits out um, a nice spread. One of my sayings this year is be the optimizer, and the tool that you're talking about not only is free but it allows you to think like you were an optimizer, correct? Absolutely. Yep. And you can be in the middle of the draft, pop it open. Now, obviously it's not going to update as you're drafting. You've got to upload a CSV after your draft's done, but you know, the decisions you're making in a draft, maybe you have, maybe you're drafting from the uh, 10, you know, the 10 spot. You take CD lamb in round one coming back around. You take a Monroe St. Brown. I can also come into the tool and I can quickly type in CD lamb. Then type in a Monroe St. Brown, and I can see what do all my teams that I've drafted those two on look like. Well, one of the things I immediately found out is I had Jameer Gibbs on 60% of those. So the last few drafts I've done, I've let Jameer Gibbs go, and I focus on taking a guy like David Montgomery, right, in round eight instead of taking Jameer Gibbs in round four. So it just gives you those quick things to show you tendencies that you may not even realize that you have, or you can't just necessarily you can't tease those things out just by looking at your roster ship over on underdog, you need a tool like this to tell you what your combos look like. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I like it a lot. Um, I, I use something similar, but I got to check out yours. Uh, it is free. Um, so that is really good. And um, thank you for explaining exactly how to use it. Guys, head over to, to Fantasy Life and check it out. It's free to get an account. And, um, you know, you really start to, if you're trying to get to the next level, and I don't want to say Dwayne and I are at some level, but we are, right? Like we've worked to try and get our game to the point where we're critically thinking as much as we can. If you want to take your game to that next level, using and utilizing a tool like the one Dwayne is talking about is crucial. So, um Let's talk about your favorite players to own. We both love Tony Pollard, who I all I also like the case for him at ADP. Uh, do you like Ramondre and Brees Hall as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what we want to have that absolute elite ceiling at running back is someone that can be involved both on the ground, but also in the passing game. The sprinkle on top is if they're an explosive playmaker. So when you look at a guy like Tony Pollard, right? He checks all three of those boxes. Now it's, it's amazing to me, like where his ADP is. It really is amazing to me uh, because like, I feel like the whole community has been waiting on this for Tony Pollard for, you know, three to four years. We've been saying, give Pollard more touches. What are we doing with Zeke? And now it's happening. And everybody's like, ah, oh, yeah, no, Tony Pollard can't, can't handle full workload too small. You know, he's kind of like doing the David Putty thing from, uh, you know, Seinfeld. Yeah. Like, it's just not going to work. I'm like, guys, come on. Like, how big do you think Jamal Charles was? How big is CMC? These guys are all a similar size to Tony Pollard, but it's so funny to me how quickly someone will act like they know for sure, Todd, he can't handle a full workload. But that's okay, because that is helping create a discount for him. Um, so I'm absolutely in on Tony Pollard. And then Ramondre, not quite as explosive as Pollard, um, but very good in the passing game. You could almost argue better than Tony Pollard in the passing game. 
uh, giving his given his targets per route run last season. So absolutely in on Mondre. Love, love, love. Guess what? And now you see them move on from James Robinson. Uh, Belichick loves this guy. Like so, I just I think he's going to get an absolute beastly, beastly workload. He both those guys have upside to finish as the RB RB one overall. And well, guys, you have in, to remember. I, huh? Yeah, I I agree, and I I do this thing where I. I define uh, usable weeks uh, and then uh, points above usable. Last year with Zeke there, um, Tony Pollard gave you a usable week 67% of the time. And he gave you 7.4 points above usable per week on average. Uh, Eckler uh, was number one at 12 and a half. Then McCaffrey at 11, Josh Jacobs at 10 and a half. Howard was the, the one, two, three, four, five, sixth in that metric. Ramondre was 69% with 6.1 to your point about him not being quite as explosive. And he um, got hurt at the end of the year. He was playing. And, for the high and Damian range. Harris was still there, you know, and Damian Harris was a legitimate threat. So um, I think that there's a tremendous amount of upside to these guys. Yeah, so I mean, if you look at Pollard in the games, like once they finally decided we're not just going to mess around and give Zeke like over, you know, half the snaps. So if we just look at the contests where, you know, he was essentially over that 50%, you know, snap share range. I mean, we're talking about a guy averaging 20.1. I got to add one more in there. uh, 18.6 points per game. So guys, even if he's not, at a 70% snap share. Let's say for some, and here's the thing, like uh, people are so quick to predict, no nah, man, Rojo's going to get short yardage. Malik, da- guys, we don't even know if Rojo's any good or any- anymore. We don't know if Malik Davis is or any good. Ever. Might they, might they want to spell him? Yeah, maybe, but those guys are going to have to be good enough to get Tony Pollard off the field, who by the way, the Cowboys only have on a franchise tag. They're not tied to this guy long-term and they can franchise him again if they want. So, I mean, 18.6 points per game, and he could easily be in a role that's far bigger than that because he's going to take all the passing down work. Like, that's coming. And Zeke was getting to stay on the field in a lot of the long down and distance situations last year just because they wanted him out there as a blocker. So, I mean, I think Tony Pollard's absolute smash. Agree. Um, the rookies are really priced up this year. Are there any that you're buying anyway at ADP in the first 10 rounds? Um, and, and, you know, who are you, you know, what are your thoughts overall on the rookies? Well, I think the rookies have been a leak for a while, meaning people have been underdrafting them. So I'm not as worried about them costing more this year. Um, you know, a lot of them graded out really well. And, uh, you know, in my supermodel, which is something where I look at each position, running back wide receiver tight end, And it's really a study of what guys did in college kind of like what we talked about to begin with, but looking at the things that matter the most and then using that to project towards what's going to happen, you know, at the next level. And it's all based off of what's mattered in the past. Um, So I feel like, honestly, these are fine. Yes, I would rather. I was getting these rookie wide receivers in round 9, 10, and 11 like we used to get them. But ultimately, a lot of them end up hitting. And that's just the nature of the game. People have gotten smarter, so they're willing to take them earlier. And that's really all I chalk that up to. Um, as far as thinking of, of the guys that I'm in on the most, um, Quentin Johnston is my favorite because I don't know why he's going in mid round seven and Jordan Madison goes, you hate Mike Williams. He, well, he goes, he goes in mid round seven, Jordan Addison goes in mid round six, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba goes in early round six, right. Or, or late round five. I, I like, I have exposure to all of them. But Mike Williams, I mean, um, Quentin Johnston is the most mispriced, right? You have an offense that's probably going to throw the ball more than any other. Mike Williams, I don't hate him, but he's never really shown he's more than a wide receiver three. So there's in the range of outcomes, which I don't have in his projection, Quentin Johnston could actually pass Mike Williams this year. But here's the thing, even if he doesn't, if he's just like an 18% target rate guy, which is pretty typical for someone taken between picks 20 and 32 over the last 10 years, in that offense, he's going to outperform what you're getting, you know, in that round. So there aren't the main rookies. I think you have to be more concerned about Todd are the guys that are going a little later, but again, it's kind of priced in, you know, to, to where you're, to where you're taking them. Like 
Jaden Reed is a guy that goes probably later than he should. So I draft quite a bit, you know, of him. Rasheed Rice was going a little higher than I like, but now he's starting to cool off. So I'm getting some exposure. I don't want to be crazy overweight, you know, on any particular wide receiver, but I'm good with where, you know, all the rookies, but I'm good with where they're going. Yeah. Johnston was my favorite tape. And I'm only in two dynasty leagues, and I had the six pick in one, and he was the pick, right? I, I'm willing to roll the dice on a guy that big who plays like a smaller player. Because back to my whole point about, well, what if he, what if he ever figures out how to play like a big guy, right? You know, and the other he, thing you have to remember is what if it just doesn't matter? Because I think a lot of that's just overrated, to be honest. Gotcha. That's fair, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, who are some Dude, of the... I grew up watching Michael Irvin. You know how often he body caught the ball? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the time. Like, so it's so funny when I see somebody talk about body catching. Well, when you're six foot five and defenders just bounce off your back, you might body catch too. It might actually improve your catch rate, you know? So, I, I, and I'm not worried about Quentin Johnson's drops. People talk about him all the time. For his average depth of target in college, he was actually, he was actually in line with the average for wide receivers that have made it in the NFL in his collegiate career. So the whole thing with his drops is just overblown. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not concerned about the drops. I was more talking about, he's a big guy who plays like a small guy, right? That doesn't it's really a, matter to me. Yeah. But, but my, my point is he remember building in kind of secret extra value. If he also learns to play like a big guy and he's that electric after the catch, I mean, he could be one of the top three wide receivers in the league. Yeah, and I would argue he's already figured that out. And and the reason we know that is because he's a player that in his collegiate career had a really high A dot, so he stretched out the field. You're not gonna you're not gonna have a high catch rate if you don't know how to use your body. Not everybody's gonna high point the ball, but he's already shown an ability to high point the ball. And TCU used him. TCU used him a lot underneath as well, and he showed to have elite yards after the catch ability. So the two things that unlock the whole field for you, that are more important, the whether you catch your ball, the ball away from your body, in my opinion, based on what the data shows us, are can you stretch the field? And and guess what? If you can't, you will not get targets down there. You you just won't get them. Like it's not going to happen. Yeah, they and then you your the ability ball. to do something after the catch. And he is actually shown to be elite in both of those areas, which makes him honestly. A unicorn. Like if you look at his average depth of target and you look at the if you look at college wide receivers that have made it in the NFL over the last 10 years, he has a higher yards after catch for guys in his A dot range than any of them. Like so he is a true unicorn. And I would argue he already knows how to win to a very large extent with his body type. Now, to your point, could he unlock more? Yeah, like I think that's certainly possible. And the beauty is, like, I honestly just hope people keep thinking this because they're so worried about something that doesn't matter very much. And it's probably the big reason that Johnson's going later than the other two. And, and it's, I'm, I'm not taking a lot of them even there and it's part the worry, but it's also that's, you know, you mentioned that's a great range for quarterbacks and running backs. And I really like that range for them, but uh, I'm glad we had that talk on him because I'm going to round seven. Todd, like, just get your thoughts. Like, round seven on underdog is a very, very interesting round because the tight end me, I like the most. I thought he was going later there. Let me get over there real quick. No, he's going. He's going mid round seven. Quentin Johnson is like he was going late round seven, but his ADP has moved up. But round seven is really interesting because you have the young wide receivers, and we know wide receivers go fast. You got Jahan Dotson flying off the board. You got Quentin Johnston coming off the board. You got George Pickens coming off the board. Uh, Kadarius Tony, who has a very wide range of outcomes. But then you've got the last guy, as far as my concern, before a big tear break at tight end, and that's Darren Waller. And you also have the guy that we talked about early on in the show, was, and the guy that I think has the biggest chance to offset the early elite quarterback and give you the play you need so that you actually have a better draft strategy than the person taking the quarterback in round two. And that's Deshaun Watson. It's a round with crucial decision-making time. <laughs> like you've got the yeah, tight end I, at a tier I, break, I, I like QB David, at a tier break. I like David Montgomery there. I think the the difference between Gibbs and Montgomery's, especially on underdog, uh, when you consider how many touchdowns that Jamal Williams got short last year and Montgomery's in that role. Yeah, I don't, I don't touch Monty there, but I take Monty when he falls back around, which is often like I get, him, I, I, I get Monty I like a him lot there. I like cook. I like cooks there. I think you have to mix in some Pacheco. Waller is a, 
a favorite of mine. I mean, he is the best receiver on a team that should throw more and has a head coach who's smart enough to put him in the positions where he's going to catch it. Um, I, I'm pretty high in Darren Waller this year. If yeah, he went out he on those running backs in that range, but I'm, I, I think the critical spots are Waller and, and, and Watson and the receivers that go so early on underdog. The only reason I say that is I, I, I thought so there are running Watson backs later. That, yeah. The running backs are easier to replace in round eight than those, than the tight end and the quarterback in round seven. I think that's very fair. I want to look up my exposure on Watson. Give me a second. Because I think I I think I've gotten him a lot later than where he's going right now. Um, I'll also let you think about the the next question. It's on overpriced players, so if you have any thoughts on that, yeah, just and with one for sure, one, one second. With, Watson hasn't Watson hasn't moved much. He's he's only down two picks since May eleventh. And that's through yesterday's data. Okay. Underdog, he's down one point seven. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not pulling it up quick anyway. Um, who, but who there are drafts to your point. Like Watson, we'll get into drafts where just you know he's one of the guys you will see fall. You will see occasionally. You know, you're just like, oh, I, wow, I got him in the middle of round eight. Normally goes in the middle, you know, or late round seven. So it does happen. Yeah, I I, I think I got him like seven out of my first ten DraftKings draft. He was just going so late. And back then, Elijah Moore was going two or three rounds later, too. And that was, you know, and sometimes I mixed in the Joku. Sometimes I had Amari Cooper. I mean, I was just scooping them every draft. Um, who are some of your overpriced players to avoid? Let, uh, we're, we just hit the hour mark, which I'm not really supposed to go over. Let's finish uh, we'll up with that one. Yep, yep for sure. Um, yeah, like so at the end of round two, and this is an opportunity cost thing too, but the, the wide receivers are just slightly overrated. Like as much as I love Devonta Smith, as much as, as much as I love T Higgins and yeah, you're setting up your stacks and doing all those things like compared to the running backs you're getting there. I, th I think it's, it's not necessarily a great trade-off in my opinion, um, given the profiles of the backs and how the back ceilings are higher. Like I'll just, we'll, I'll just say it like the data proves that out over time. Now, might they get injured? All sorts of things. Yes, those things could happen. So um, I don't get a ton, right, of those. Now, I, I work my way into getting their ex getting exposure on them, but it is a little bit tougher for me. Um, I would say, you know, looking at, you know, TJ Hawkinson, you know, in round four, he projects okay, but that's that's pretty pricey for me considering, you know, some of the tight ends that you can get later. I probably need to force myself into getting some more uh, I, I, I'm Hawkinson the same exposure. Way. I, I agree with you. I've, I've agreed with both so far. Keep going. Michael Pittman is overpriced. Um, this is a there, team. There I disagree. I, I like ways. Pittman. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll give you the quick reason why. I think that Richardson, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily buy your earlier uh, take that they're going to run so much. Steichen, I think there's, you know, Richardson is an upgrade on Matt Ryan. As not a, from a, an accuracy standpoint, he's not. Well, he's that's, that's a at, big that that's what we're hoping. We he's hope accurate at times and very inaccurate at other times, right? Um, I I could see him being a 57, 58% completion guy this year. So I give you that. But I think that when he when he is he's either really inaccurate or right there, and I think that they're you know they're going to put him in the position to get the ball to Pittman on some easy throws, and he's going to be able to make the deep throws that Ryan couldn't make last year. Yeah, I don't think Pittman will get the deep throws. A, B, like when you look at historically teams that have a quarterback that's going to scramble as much as Anthony Richardson, that means dropbacks convert into run plays, even though they were intended to be pass plays. Correct. And so those are the teams that will be the run heaviest in the league. It just pretty much is kind of a thing, right? Like, so 55% pass rate would actually be good for the Colts, but it could be 50. And then if you factor in a 58 to 57% completion rate, I think it's going to be tough for Michael Pittman to get over 110 targets. And I think it's just going to be a situation where his catch rate is also going to go down due to the inaccuracy. So now you have a situation where he had over a 70% catch rate the last two years. 
and that's going to dip to 62%. Like, so it's just, it's a cascade of events for Pittman. And, and I think Pittman is a good player. So the talent for Pittman is solid, but now he's in a situation where he's going to have to battle, you know, some, some issues. And he's only, he's just slightly overpriced, you know, and he's been sliding. People are starting to let him go. So I will. Well, get that's some that's why to, I've been starting to hit it harder. I mean, you can't. Yeah, so I will if he slides on last year. All right. Yeah, I will um, if he slides. Yep. Um, Dwayne McFarland on Twitter. Uh, what is your Twitter handle? Yep. At Dwayne McFarland, D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. Dwayne, as I mentioned, one of the sharpest tools in the shed. Uh, always a pleasure. Dwayne and I could probably talk for another hour and a half without breaking a sweat uh, and still not get to everything we want to. Check out his work at fantasylife.com. Definitely check out the new best ball tool and we will see you next week.